I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm here with the guard dog, Steve. Amen. I am so thankful to be here. Just what a privilege it is. It's really hitting me hard how blessed Bill and I are. We get to do this podcast and we get to witness God going off in us. We just did our show prep, which basically went something like this. Lord, (laughs) help us. Give us words, Father God. Let kindness, wisdom come out of our mouth. And give us a topic, Lord. We, and he did. Yes, he did. He Actually did. got a question. Yeah. Which we love. I don't know if everybody out there, well, I don't know if you ever could realize it. I was going to say, I don't know if anybody realizes, but you couldn't realize unless we just confess to it. But we actually like to have our minds blank when we come in here, not knowing a topic or thinking of something that we've rehearsed. We rehearsed all our lives. All we did was study the Bible. for. So in that sense, we come to the podcast prepared. But as far as preparing something and writing down notes and everything, Bill and I just don't do it because we want it. happened once. Yeah, we want it actually be what the Spirit brings us to the the verses that the Spirit reminds us of and calls us to point to, because that's actually all we do is point to verses and and read them off the page, because you can't see them. You're probably driving in your car when you listen to this podcast. So we recite the, the verses and God just ties verses together and they, they make a point. Hopefully each time by the end of the podcast, there's been a good coherent point made. Actually, I think we did one podcast where we scripted it and we ended up throwing it out. Didn't <laughs> do a bit of it, huh? We didn't like it. No, never have. Never have liked preparing anything. It, it's just nothing wrong with it. But for us, it seems to take the spirit out of it. It seems to make us stick to a script rather than depend on the spirit. The very next thought has to come from God. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary that way. It's, but that's how Bill and I fly. I was wondering, guard dog, Steve, do you think you could remember the question? Yes. Yes. But tonight we actually have a question. A, A question came from, and I believe the question comes from India. Pretty amazing. But the question that comes from India is, or goes kind of like this, how could I, as a Christian believer, know when I'm getting close to God? How do I know when I'm getting close to God? It's a question that unveils and diagnoses quite a bit. Yeah, let me just say the idea of nearness to God and distance to away from God is right from the fall. The idea that God was at a disappointed distance came from the lie. It came from Adam. It came from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they weren't supposed to eat. But really, it was all part of God's 
plan to participate in that, but it brought about the first question in the Bible. The first question in the Bible came from God, and it was asked Adam, and it was a simple question, where are you? And obviously, God knew exactly where Adam was, being all-knowing, but he wanted Adam to know that he was in a, a place that he wouldn't have been if he hadn't eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Having this knowledge of good and evil would mean I can have I can eat from this tree and I'll have the knowledge of doing good, what good is and what evil is. The idea would be that my relationship with God, him being close to me or distance from me, would depend on how well I do with this knowledge of good and evil and becoming a sovereign being in and of myself rather than a dependent being on God. So the first question was, where are you? Because you're feeling alienated right now and you're feeling afraid, fearful. Those were the two feelings going through Adam and Eve's mind. You feel like hiding. Which they did. And so the first question in the Old Testament was from God to man saying, where are you? The first question in the New Testament is asked by three, well, we don't know that there are three wise men, but wise men who saw a great light, followed the light, followed the star to look for Jesus. And their question is, where is he? The reason they asked, where is he? Because they knew that he was the one that was going to bring them back to this idea of fellowship with God, or a nearness to God, a closeness to God. Reunited. Reunited. So the question was, how do I get close to God? It was, Jesus brought us close to God. So now when they ask, where are you? We're in him. We're, we're in him. Which brings up a phrase that's very important. What does it mean to be in him? We we may have to go over that because that is a new covenant concept. There's a phrase in the New Testament. It's the phrase in accordance with. You find it in Ephesians 1. Let me see if I remember Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, for he chose us in him according to the purpose of his will. Help me out with this, Steve. He chose us in him before the, the foundation, foundation of the world. And then does it say to be holy and blameless in his sight? In love he predestined us, he adopted as his sons, sons in accordance with. The kind intention of his will. So when you see that word in accordance with, you have an equivalence. The So what's the equivalence? The equivalence would be he brought us near to him because we kept the law. Well, in accordance with the way we kept the law. But it doesn't say that, does it? No, we, eventually we have to do where the idea of being near or far away from God came, because it was only in the old covenant, and we have to bring that out and make it crystal clear at some point, but go on with what you were saying. Yes. So what I was saying was the reason we were brought near is in accordance with his kind intention. That's it was an act of kindness. Before the foundation of the world really means, if you remember, I think we've done it on another mm-hmm. podcast. Before the ages began. Before the ages began, and the word is katabala, before the thrown down cosmos. cosmos. Before the fall of Adam, he chose us to be in him in accordance with the kind intention of his will. The reason we're close to him is because... He loves us and wants it. It's his purpose. It's his plan. The whole, I think, isn't it the whole first 11 verses are one sentence? Yes, that's correct. That's how excited Paul was to say this. He couldn't even stop for a period. He just just had to keep going and going and going. Yeah. 
So that said, what is it that makes us feel like we're not in him or we're not close to God or we're separate to Steve's point earlier? Yeah, well, yeah, we're going to have to go over the fact that the idea was brought up and we absorbed that idea through the old covenant. Because if we weren't obeying the commandments back then, in, in other words, the com- commandments and obedience to the commandment was the prerequisite to being near God because he was in that tabernacle in the box that they had him in. He would be open to hearing your prayers if you were in obedience with the commandments and then he would distance himself from you and your crops would die and things would go bad if you weren't in obedience to those commandments. So it gave us a huge... Could you say that in accordance with was a totally different in accordance with under the Old Testament. Yeah, it gave it gave us that in accordance with... Our you, behavior to the... Yes, it ingrained that thought in us. So when we say, now, how do we know when we're getting close to God, we're actually, without knowing it, we're actually asking the question, how do we know when we're pleasing God. And that was in accordance with the Ten Commandments. A total difference in accordance with. Yes. You were close to God in accordance with your keeping the covenant. Yes. We did that on another podcast. That word righteousness is related to covenant. You keeping the covenant. The first covenant, the one Steve's alluding to, was a two-sided and it was Yes. If you do this, God will do this. Yes. If you're obedient, God will be close. If being close to God, being righteous in his eyes. And we know from the Old Testament study that we did that being righteous in his eyes equates to doing the commandments written in the law, in that contract that he had with the Israel nation. But that contract that he had with the Israelite nation and the history of Israel from that point forward, from the point in time that he gave us those commands, we're supposed to learn one thing from that historic section of the Bible that we can't serve God. He's too holy and we're not strong enough or determined enough or have what it takes. We're not righteous enough to serve him. So that brings me back to your question, Bill, which you were talking about. What makes us feel alienated from God or that we don't measure up to God's standards that would come from the law, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It would come from the accuser, Ha-Satan, and it would come from our own conscience, our own conscience torturing us and causing us to want to do what Adam and Eve did, which was hide from God because we feel unworthy of God. And that is the reality of the question how do I know when I'm getting closer to God? It's actually, how do I know when I'm getting close to pleasing God? That's the million-dollar question. And we please God because he made a whole new covenant for us to live under where in that new covenant we are pleasing to God. Yes, Remember in Deuteronomy 8, Steve. In the Old Covenant, you're talking about? In the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant where we were supposed to try and please God to have him near us, and we didn't. We We couldn't. We failed at pleasing God by keeping the commandments. 
we just didn't do. So this is 430 years after God promised the land to Abraham and Isaac. He's now with the nation of Israel, and he's had them walk through the desert for 40 years so that he could prove to them one more time that they weren't able to please God by their obedience in staying on the right side of God. They couldn't do it. They didn't do it for 40 years. But now God has brought Israel to their promised land, the land that they're going to divvy up. He's going to give them their boundaries and everything, but he's telling them point blank that I'm doing this because of your forefathers, because you never did live right in the 40 years. You didn't live righteously enough to deserve this land. I'm giving you the land because of your forefathers. And matter of fact, I'm going to give you this land and make you fat and rich. And when I make you fat and rich, you're going to forget that it was me doing it. And you're going to say to yourselves, we, Israel, we made ourselves fat and rich. And he's already predicting them when we get to Deuteronomy 8. So go ahead and read that if you want. That's actually exactly what he says in Deuteronomy 8, 2. So he's talking to Abraham's seed who was an heir to the promise. And he says the very word, eight, Deuteronomy 8, 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in, these, in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, for you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And they didn't. They failed. Then you go down to Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. He's told them to remember what he said. Now he's saying, don't forget, which is a little different than remember. But he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions, with its venomous snakes and scorpions, sorry. He brought you water out of a rock. They were close to God because of the promise that he made to Abraham that he would be with them. Not their behavior. Their behavior wasn't causing, even though it, it was supposed to. He set up a covenant where their behavior would keep them close to God, but it never did. But he still went on for the sake of the forefathers to still give them the land and bless them. Yes, and it was important to know for them to never associate the good things God is doing, his kind intention with their obedient behavior. They were never to make that connection. They did not earn it, and they were supposed to always remember that they did not earn it. He said it in two ways in Deuteronomy 8. He said, remember, I gave you this land because of my promise to Abraham, and never forget that you didn't earn this land. Exactly. It two different ways. Exactly. And what was the reason? Because we couldn't obey and be righteous enough 
to be near God. So he ended that whole covenant. This is what we've got to get. He, he ended that covenant and made a new covenant where your sins and lawless deeds he'll remember no more. He'll put his spirit in you and cause you to walk in his statutes or cause you to walk the model Christian life because he's putting his spirit to do it through you. It doesn't get any nearer than that. This is the covenant. So to answer the question, we're always near to God because God lives in us. He set up a whole new covenant and a whole new way to live the Christian life. And it's knowing that he is inside of us doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. So that is this new covenant. God has placed Jesus inside of us. You remember John 14, in that day, you'll know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and we are inside of you. The day that he makes the new covenant, he makes the new covenant so that he can be inside of each one of us. And the Spirit came down in the book of Acts and landed on Peter and the Spirit went in Peter and then Peter spoke to the 3,000 people that were out there and the Spirit went inside of those 3,000 people and they were the first people to be born again but they were the first people to receive the spirit of Jesus within them. And that phenomenon has gone on through the annals of time till we get to here. Jesus Christ has been placed in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. But he's in us. And it doesn't get any nearer than that. So the issue of whether he's near us or not, it, it's settled there. He's in us. Now I want us to look at some scriptures that are very good news because in Hebrews, it says after, you know, I've been placed in you, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's actually never, no, never. Yes, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. So you're always good and righteous in God's sight. Then we should go to the Romans about, I'm confident of this very thing. Yeah, I was just... death, nor life, nor things future, nor things past, nor things present, nor things high or things low or angels or demons or any other created thing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing will separate us. He is in us and nothing will separate us. F. Lee Bailey couldn't find a loophole in that yes. contract. Amen. Amen. I was just thinking with Christmas next week that the verse we always read in Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's a permanent with us. Amen. Because he's in us. He's in us. And we're in him. Paul gives this amazing mystery in Ephesians think it's five it might be six he says for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife there's that twining together again yes cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i am talking about christ and the church he became one flesh with us and nothing will ever change that it cannot change it. it's a union it's a union so in regard to this union 
between us and God where he is inside of it. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. We are the vessels that the surpassing greatness of God's power, which is Jesus, comes through us. And people can see that it's not of us, but it's of God, of God living through us. We are manifestors of God. That is what he established the new covenant to do. That was the purpose of the new covenant where he has his spirit in us and the spirit does for us all the things that we need it to do to keep the people around us happy. And those people will see us as righteous and holy and good people because he is manifesting through us and he is righteous and holy good people. So we get the credit for what Christ does in us. It's the cornerstone concept of the new covenant. We manifest God. That is what it's about. It's not seeming to be what it's about when I listen to the TV or the radio they're, they're, they're just saying, you do it. Here's a verb. You go do this verb. And I don't think you're doing the verb very well. You need to improve because we're supposed to do these verbs perfectly. So we're always getting criticized about these verbs that we don't do perfectly because we can't do them perfectly because we weren't intended to because that wasn't the new covenant. The new covenant was... He puts his spirit in us and his spirit does for us what we We can't can't do do for ourselves. The spirit goes out and evangelizes and has the greatest words when it's evangelizing through us. Much smarter than we are. It goes out and feeds the homeless. It does all these things through us because the essence of the Christian life is about manifesting the Spirit of God. This is what we want to do. This is what we're addicted to doing because it's so good. When we feel Jesus, we feel heaven on earth. That's why in Romans 14, 17, it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, Righteousness, peace, and joy in in the the Holy Spirit. Spirit. The Holy Spirit that's in us produces in us the feelings of righteousness that we're right with God. We don't have to be like Adam and Eve and hide ourselves. We can walk boldly into the throne of confidence because the Spirit makes us feel the sensation of righteousness and gives us peace and gives us joy. And when we're expressing all that joy that Christ has, people are just more than happy to be around us because we're just a walking good time. Isn't that what the next verse says in Romans 14? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit. Then it follows up and says, anyone who serves Christ in this way is both pleasing to God and to pleasing to the people around them. Oh, Bill, you got to say that again. We got to go off on that. That's that just said it all in a nutshell. Say it again. We've got to go off on this for a minute. It says that the kingdom of God is not dietary laws, and, but it is righteousness. Remember, righteousness is a covenant word. It is keeping the covenant. He's the one that keeps the covenant for us. Peace. Peace is the satisfaction that God is pleased with you. You're at peace with God. You're not his enemy. You don't feel alienated. Right. And joy. Joy is the just the ecstatic frame of mind that you know that God loves you. Righteousness, peace of joy in the Holy Spirit. Not of yourself, but by the Spirit. And then it says, anyone that serves Christ in this way is pleasing to 
God and the people around you. So you're pleasing to God because he set it up this way. And when you're serving him according to the letter or the way you just mentioned that people tell you that if you do these things, you're going to ple- pleasing to God, I feel like quoting the uh, current press secretary, and they need to circle back to Deuteronomy in 8, chapter 8. Yeah. And don't forget yeah. that you could never, never please God, God by keeping these commandments. And don't forget it was God's covenant promise to Abraham and his seed that got you the land, got you the fat cows, and got you the big bank accounts, and got you all the things that show you that you're pleased and spoiled by God that you're enjoying, and they did not come from yourself. They came from God's covenant promise. Yes. The promise he swore in an oath to Abraham, and he didn't need to make an oath. It was enough because God can not lie. It says that in Hebrews 6. He cannot lie. That's enough for him just to say it. I'm going to give you this land. But he went further and he said, I'm swearing by myself that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to die for God to lie, those who have fled to take hope in this promise can be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, this certainty as an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. So whenever the trials come in our life and we feel blown here and there by the things that are going on in our life, we're to remember that God loves us. God is in us. God is close to us. God is joined to us. We are now bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He has done it. Yes, and like Paul said, he's convinced that Neither death death nor life, life. nor anything, any created being will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So if you've got somebody telling you about herb that is separating you, don't Who shall separate us from the love of God? Exactly. Shall trouble, hardship, famine, nakedness, sword, peril, danger? Quote it, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the fact that we're counted as sheep for the slaughter, nay, and all nay. these things, little King James there. Hyper conquerors. We are hyper conquerors. Amen. For I'm convinced that neither death, death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor things past, nor things present, nor things to come. If it's in the past and it didn't separate us, it can't separate us in the present. And if it didn't separate us in the present or the past, it can't separate us in the future or we'd already be separated. In other words, you yeah. can't be separated from and, the love of God. And just read it right there in Romans and see if it doesn't say nothing in the future will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He just puts that last clause in, in the contract that no lawyer could ever get out of nor anything else in all creation from the beginning of time till the end of time is able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, where we are. Romans 8, say 30 and following to the end of chapter in Romans 8. Just go there and read it for yourself. You'll go, man, that is such good news. Uh, God is always close to me. He's always near to me. That question is settled. You're in him and he's in you. And it's never going to change. Nothing. I'll never leave you. He's in you and he'll never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5, Romans 8, 30 and following. Nothing will ever separate. That part's a done deal. We we can say you're always close to Christ because he's in you. But now it brings us to the deeper question, which is what is the essence of the Christian life? Is that we are the vessels and we take Jesus around town with us to manifest himself through us. That is what the new covenant is about. It's the foundation of the new covenant. 
You have to know that you are the vessels that manifest Jesus Christ, and you want him to do that through you all day long. It's a blessed day when he manifests himself all day long. doesn't happen often, but it is good when you get a few hours. Uh, I mean, during these Bible studies that I've always taught for all these years, uh, those were times that I just, I was guaranteed that Christ was manifesting himself through me, and I always felt great. Acts 3.19. Amen. Amen. That he would send his son, Jesus, so that we could experience times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. The presence, his presence coming out of us. It's refreshing. Is refreshing. It gives us that time of refreshing. See, all these words mean something, but they, they just don't register any meaning unless you know that the foundational concept of this new covenant is that we manifest Christ. It's all about that one topic. That's why we were born again. And that's what all the epistles are about. That's what Jesus came down to say, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He got the idea started with Nicodemus and the fact that we are born again of his spirit, then we can get to the conclusion that what do we do all day? We pray that God will manifest himself through us. And when he does, we give him the glory. That is called practicing the truth. When you say it wasn't me doing all that saying all those kind words. It was Jesus in me saying all those kind words. We give the glory to the Father. That's why it says, do your good deeds so that they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Do your good deeds so that they'll glor- make sure that they glorify your Father because it's him who is doing the works of your hand. Always has been, always will be. Just made a covenant that let us learn about it. And once we've learned about it, we can learn to see Jesus all over the place in all kinds of people. We can see him and we can communicate with him. He can speak to us through the people that are also vessels of God. Here's how it works, our dog, Steve. Amen. The kingdom is like a seed. Jesus told us that repeatedly in his parables. Before he went to the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. There's the time when and all our sin came upon him, and he was judged and sentenced to death, died on the cross, buried, and resurrected. Right before that took place, he said, Now is the judgment of the world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. That's the one that accuses us, that makes us feel separated from God, that accuses us of sin. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. But if I be lifted up, I will draw all, it doesn't say men, and it doesn't say judgment, but we put those two words in there because of, That's what it's talking about. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if I be lifted up, all judgment and all people will be drawn into myself. The cross was the judgment of the world. As far as sin is concerned. As far as sin is concerned, the cross was the judgment of the world for all people. Then he died. Then he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. So now he's talking about a seed. He's <laughs> Christ is Abraham's seed. Mm-hmm. Then he said, I will give you this. Galatians 4.24. Yeah. And the seed Says is Christ. Christ. This, that seed is Christ. So unless a, a kernel of wheat or a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it becomes multiplied. That's that's the way guarding work. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. Yeah. From Farmer Bill. When Pentecost came, as you mentioned earlier, 
that seed began to multiply first 3,000 fold because it says 3,000 people were saved, born, again. born yeah. again from that incorruptible seed. Yes. That Peter talked about, you've been born again, not of a perishable seed of Adam, but mm-hmm. of an imperishable seed, Christ. Mm-hmm. So now it is multiplying and now it's bearing fruit. Just like it says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit of Christ is love, joy, joy peace, peace patience. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We know that the, of the one quality that God is, is love. Goodness, God is good. Love is a manifestation of goodness. Kindness, joy are all manifestations of fruit of love. Mm-hmm. That is what your, what's the word? Your purpose is in life is to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. You're manifesting God's goodness by being loving. And as we talked about last podcast, kindness is a demonstration of God's love in the most practical way. That's why you're kind to people, not to get God to be kind to you. You're kind because his life is manifesting kindness through you to people around you. That's called a dependence on the spirit, living by the spirit. And that is the greatest way to demonstrate to yourself and the people around you that God is close to you and in you, even though it's enough to say he's in you, but when you're manifesting his fruit in you, it becomes real to you. And you're never asking questions, how do I get close to God? Because now you know that you are close to God. That's what, I mean, I've met people in my life that are much better speakers than me and they can articulate theology and just go on and on and on. And then once in a while you meet someone that fumbles with their words and has trouble saying things, but they're just the kindest, most compassionate, loving, never get tired of doing good things for people. That is the person that is manifesting God's love, manifesting his spirit in them. And that's real. There was a group of people called the Pharisees. Those guys could quote Bible verses all day long. Um, And walk the walk. Yeah, and walk the walk that we say is supposed to (laughs) bring God close to you. Exactly. But it was the people that manifested the Spirit of God in the Old Testament that caused people around them to say, God is with you. People, other nations said that about Israel. We know that God is with you. For no one could do the miraculous sign. Um, Nicodemus said that to Jesus. that We know God is with you because no one could do the miraculous things they were doing the less. God were in you and doing it with you. He he saw that. He knew that. That is why we manifest the life of God. Because what we're doing actually is Christ, and I don't want to say this in a a way that could sound wrong. Christ is actually multiplying the seed in people. So he's much, much bigger than Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus of... Seven people billion, seven billion people big. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yes. Um, I don't mean to say... Yeah, there, there was no bad way to say that. That was good what you said. That's the whole thing. That's what Christ came down to start. He, he started over. He started a new covenant. He started a new way, and he just simply put his spirit in one person, and after that, another one, and another one. He did it kind of one at a time till it, it got done. And 
we now bring Christ to a town and we manifest Christ. And the people say, that fruit tastes good. I want some. And they receive Christ. And then Christ in those people spreads the gospel throughout the town and the town begins to calm down and there's less violence and there's less corruption and everything. The town becomes better because the life of Christ is manifesting itself. That's what it said in first John. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He does that destroying the works of the devil by manifesting himself through us. He puts to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the old man of us, the deeds of our human nature that has sin living in it. That's how he destroys the works of the devil, by making that all be dormant and you live by Jesus shining through you. Multiplied, just just like he multiplied the bread and the fish. Yes. Not to solve world hunger. No. But to show that he could be the bread of life multiplied to whoever needed it. And he used the disciples to manifest that God giving them the bread of life because they were the ones that handed out the bread to all the people. And they were the ones to collect the extra. And it turned out they poured themselves out completely to the the multitude of the 5,000 people. And when it was over, they had enough bread for themselves. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just as miraculous as like we use this statement all the time. We say, God does for you what you can't do for yourself. And it reminds me of Peter walking on water. As long as he was focused on Jesus. When he began to focus on himself, he wasn't able to do for him what he could not do for himself. He sang. And to answer the question that was asked earlier, until we remember the things we cannot, that only he can do for us, that we can't do for ourselves, and remember that he does them for us because he loves us. And it's going back to Ephesians at the beginning in accordance with his kind intentions, not as a quid pro quo for our obedience. It, it's he does it in accordance with his kind because he wants to do it because yes. he loves us. Yes. If we remember that, that's the atmosphere, that's the fertile ground for the Spirit of Christ to manifest itself in us. So those are two key things, is remember that he does all this because of a promise to Abraham, an unbreakable swearing of an oath, covenant promise. Remember that. And then never forget that he does... Go ahead, Steve, what's the For us, what we can't do for ourselves, which is lead a model Christian life and be compatible with everybody we come into contact with. He can do that for us and we won't irritate the people around us. That's what we're supposed to never forget. Yes. And that is hopefully an answer to the question how do I know when I'm getting near to God is actually how do I know when I'm coming close to pleasing God and it's not an issue in the new covenant because we are pleasing to God we are just the vessels that he manifests himself so There's the issue in the question, but then the issue in the Bible is about new covenant believers rely on God to manifest himself through those new covenant believers. And I want to close with this one verse to give you encouragement 
about that idea is Philippians 1.6. I am convinced of this one thing. He, meaning Jesus, who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. Everything that God has for Jesus to do through you, Jesus will do, and he'll manifest himself through you every time God has something according to his eternal plan. Jesus will manifest himself through you and do it, and you can be confident of this one thing. The work that he began to do in you, he's going to complete it to perfection, and you will have an A when we come to meet our maker. We will have an A because of what Jesus has done through us because he's living his life out in us. So I hope that comes close to answering the question because there's kind of is no answer for the question because it's not the issue of the Bible. The Bible is... I want to tell you about a power you have to be a better Christian. And it's this person you received named Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you cause us to become rooted and established in that thought that I am a vessel of God and he manifests himself through us. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Reject what you're hearing if they're telling you something other than what the new covenant is about. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank you for that question, too. Oh, man, what an awesome, good, good question. Good, And, and it's one of those that everybody's afraid to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for answering that question, asking that question. Good night, everybody. We love you. We love you. Good night.